Oath Hermes podcast. Welcome to the world of the Western esoteric tradition. Friends and listeners, welcome to a new episode of the Thor's Hermes podcast. Today is July 7, 2019. My name is Rudolf and I'm your host. I'm glad to meet you here for our third episode of season three. Welcome to those who are here for the first time and thanks to all of you who have come back and who are regulars of the show. Today's episode brings to you an interview with an important figure of North American occultism and magic, Lon Milo Duquette. As most of you might know, Lon is also a musician and therefore it seems obvious to me that music should also be part of this episode and it will be, thanks to Lon, who offered me to play a couple of his pieces on the show. As always... I would also like to encourage you to subscribe to our newsletter on the website, which is www.thothermes.com, that is T-H-O-T-H-E-R-M-E-S dot com. That way you will always stay on top and be informed about new shows, new developments, and with the future Thoth Hermes Ex Libris episodes, the roundtables and YouTube video shows, there are plenty of new things to come within the next half year or so. Talking about YouTube, just to remember you can now also listen to Thoth Hermes on YouTube, for the moment audio only, but some of you seem to prefer that. Either check the link on our Facebook and Twitter announcements in the newsletter or go to YouTube and search for Thos Hermes Podcast. As you're hearing me speaking to you now, you obviously already found our podcast, but for your further information, we are on almost all good podcast outlets, like Apple Podcasts, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Android, you name it, there are more and more of them. Facebook and Twitter is also a good way to get in touch with me. Otherwise, you have voicemail or a contact form on the website. Or you just send me an email to info at Thanks. Before we go any further, let me present to you our first media partner here on Thoth Hermes. As I told you in my newsletter some time ago, I will carefully introduce some partners and supporters of this show to you. You know, Thoth Hermes does cost money. So far I have not worked with sponsors or promoted my Patreon account, but I will have to do a bit of that in the future to be able to maintain this podcast and its new extensions. I'm sure you understand and I promise this won't become too intrusive. In any case, 
Here comes a short introduction of our new media partner, Anathema Publishing. Anathema Publishing Limited. Quality occult books and contemporary esoterica. Established in 2011, Anathema Publishing aims to provide superior literature in content and form by creating a triune relationship between publisher, author and reader. Anathema Publishing produces refined books for the true bibliophile on topics ranging from Gnosticism, traditional craft, alchemy, hermeticism, witchcraft, to Luciferian philosophy. www.anathemapublishing.com Gabriel McCaffrey and his team do a wonderful job and make interesting and especially beautiful books out of Montreal, Canada. So do go and have a look on their website. It's really worth it. Before we now go to the interview, I have a little surprise for you. You remember the name of Chris Roberts. He is the composer and occultist from the United Kingdom who so generously and skillfully wrote the new intro-outro music for this show. Some time ago, he recorded short meditations on the Hebrew letters with different people from the world of the occult, and then he underlined them with his own music. At the time, he also asked Lon Myler Duquette to record one, the meditation on Yod. Chris has sent this recording with Lon to me, and so I have now the pleasure, as a kind of intro to our interview, to present to you the meditation on Yod, read by Lon Milo Duquette, with the music by Chris Roberts. The Hermit. I am the creative hand which fashioneth the worlds and establisheth the spheres, while yet the primal fire circleth untrammeled in the womb of space. That fashioning is not as the handiwork of man. It is my self-utterance through the voice of vision. By it I declare myself. Yea, I utter myself as the father of all, and from my fatherhood is the brotherhood of all creatures. Therefore do the wise seek in the letter Yod the fatherhood of Hakma, the unbounded wisdom which establisheth all. That father, Ab, am I, the source of all, one in mine inmost being, two in my self-utterance, and three in my union with my divine manifestation, creating, preserving, transforming throughout endless ages. From my presence do all things derive their substance. From my power all movement beginneth, and my wisdom is the foundation of all knowing. Therefore, 
is Yod, the foundation of all the letters, and every letter exhibiteth Yod in its formation. By these two and twenty letters is the circle of creation described. I am the fluid darkness, which is the ink wherewith I inscribe myself upon the scroll of manifestation. Verily, this writing of the Book of Being telleth no new thing. They understand aright who say with Solomon that beneath the sun is nothing new. Of whatsoever is, thou mayest say with truth it was. Hence is the vision of the prophet, which seemeth to pierce the veil between what is and what is yet to come, in truth a recollection of that which seemeth to belong to the past. My hand holdeth the whole circle of being, and for me time is not. I am the link between Hesed and Tepharath, combining the waters of substance with the air of life. I measure and bound the Ruach, which hath its place in the path of mediating influence, because I am the intelligence of will which carrieth the water of mercy into the sphere of beauty. I am ten, yet from me proceedeth the twenty, for I am ten ineffable and ten manifested in creation. Therefore is Yod both ten and twenty, and the ten made manifest are also seven, and these are the Elohim. These seven bring forth ten again, for the heptad, which is below the supernal triad, completeth itself in the kingdom of the bride. For tenfold is my self-utterance, and therefore it is written of the lights of emanation, ten, and not eleven, ten, and not nine. Thanks, Chris, for this gem that you sent me to present Lon from a very different angle. Now let's go ahead and meet Lon Dalmilo Duquette for the interview. I passed a very nice hour in his company. He is a wonderfully humorous and funny person, but who at the same time shows a deep knowledge and experience with all things occult. No wonder. He's been around in California at the time of the OTO when it was waking up again. Among many other things, Lon tells us about his early life and we will hear the funny and quite astonishing story about how Lon moved from other organizations like Amorc over to the OTO, but also how this process was happening in a very particular way back then in the 1970s. It definitely was a different period. This interview will last for a bit over an hour and in its middle we will take a short musical break. Wait no longer, here comes Long Milo Duquette.
Here comes the interview. I'm extremely pleased today to welcome Lon Milo Duquette here on the Thos Hermes podcast uh, for several, several reasons, actually, because A, it's great to have you on here, Lon, and secondly, because you are one of those people who, when I started into the Western esoteric tradition, let's put it that way, about 15 years ago, you were one of the first voices that I read and heard, you know. Uh, and so it's today, 15 years later, when I'm running this podcast, extremely nice for me also to have that voice back again in a different capacity. Welcome, Lonnala Duquette on the Thos Hermes podcast. Well, thank you very much, Rudy. Thank you. Um, it's great to have you. And, you know, I always prepare myself, of course, for those interviews. And um, I usually start those interviews with asking my guests to tell us how it all came into into being, so to speak, how they became what they are. Now, in your case, I'm going to ask the same question, but please don't take it as an offense, because of course, people know very well who you are and don't, you don't need to present yourself. But it's more the person long also in the background that maybe we get to know it better tonight and whatever you want to say, of course. So long, you were born in Long Beach that I know, but from Long Beach to becoming the person who you are today, the hermeticist, the representative of uh, of OTO, etc., uh, in 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 North America, how where did it all start? How did it all come from? Uh, well, I guess the mysticalness of it all started uh, uh, even in like late infancy, uh, when I was uh, not quite uh, two years old. Uh, I, they discovered that I had a, a bone disease in my, in my hip, it's called mm -hmm. uh, Percy's disease. And, uh, uh, there was no known cure or treatment for it other than just to mobilize the patient for a couple of years and see if I'd outgrow it. <laughs> and, uh, and so just at the time when, uh, uh, other children were losing their infantile, uh, you know, pre-linguistic, pre-mobility pre uh, memories. Mm -hmm. uh, I was uh, put right back into the baby crib and allowed to just sort of stare at the ceiling and stare at my fingers and uh, kind of process uh, pre-linguistic uh, baby thoughts, okay? Mm -hmm. And in those baby thoughts, and I would drift in and out of uh, consciousness uh, uh, like 24 hours a day. It's like I didn't sleep, you know, for eight hours and wake up for eight hours. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I would sleep for 20 minutes and wake up for 20 minutes. And, sleep <laughs> for 20. and so the, the, the separation, the membrane between uh, uh, waking consciousness and, and sleep consciousness uh, was very, very thin, and I had uh, uh, all sorts of memories that I could only remember uh, through through images and impressions rather than through uh, through language or or nouns and verbs and stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, so it was. I always had the the knowledge that I was an adult trapped in a in a baby's body. 
right. and that I had all sorts of uh, uh, wonderful and terrible uh, uh, memories of uh, of being, you know, multiple adults. And um, and I'm not saying that I'm, you know, a total reincarnation uh, nut because I think it's <laughs> it might be, uh, you know. Because you take time out of the equation and it explains a lot of things, you know. So, yes. uh, uh, I more or less figure we're going to, every one of us are going to wake up one day and figure out we've been everybody else all along, you know. <laughs> and, um, uh, but anyway, so that, uh, that made me realize that consciousness was a really big uh, big thing, and that that uh, I, as a as an individual uh, monad of consciousness, uh, was something that sort of transcends what we all think of as objective reality. Uh, and I didn't I didn't think much of it, you know. But it certainly uh, allowed me to uh, uh, immediately dismiss the the, the rubbish of uh, uh, any attempts to religiously program me. <laughs> <laughs> where, where <are> their attempts? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I, I always had, uh, you know, I, I was always ready to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, almost, you know, romantically uh, uh, stimulated by the romance of, of fantasy and and uh, imagination and things. I, I love the idea of Santa Claus and all of that, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, uh, but that was always... Uh, uh, when they started telling me about Jesus, I sort of put Jesus in that Santa Claus. Uh, <laughs> 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 I, to go, I hope I'm not offending anybody here. Mm, but, uh, and no, I don't think you're offending anybody on this podcast. No, I don't think so. <laughs> but uh, uh, so by the time I, uh, I uh, my family moved to Nebraska when I was seven, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Nebraska was sort of a, a cultural shock. Not only was uh, uh, was everybody sort of locked into this uh, sort of religious nonsense; <laughs> they were also mm -hmm. <laughs> locked into a uh, you know a very uh, uh, very uh, primitive. Not to say that they're, they're not good-hearted, wonderful, wonderful human beings there, but yeah. uh, it, it's a very uh, tough, harsh existence. And, and um, uh, it must be a cultural shock from Long Beach to Nebraska, in any case. Yeah, especially yeah. when just rock and roll was starting and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then to literally be plunged back uh, almost thirty years into the past. Uh, was you know, you know quite shocking. Mm -hmm. I imagine, uh, yeah. So I was always uh, uh, self, well, introspective, and, and uh, uh, spent a lot of time in self-examination, uh, which I didn't see very, very much of in anybody else. You know, <laughs> in in Nebraska, I said, well, "Don't you ever think about yourself?" You know, and no, that's <laughs> the way things are. And uh, so uh, I knew that the moment that I uh, graduated from high school in Nebraska, I was going to head back to California and go to school. Mm 
Right. So I headed back in 1966, right at the, the launching pad of the psychedelic 60s. Oh, yeah. And uh, boy, that's the first thing when I, I was a musician uh, at the time and had been since I was 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my father was ill and, and uh, I truly was a, it helped, I helped, uh, you know, support the family. Sure. So I, I, I got a job with musicians and musicians are often uh, on the cutting edge of things and and uh, including LSD. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was in, I was playing at a club in Belmont Shore, California, and uh, a guy came up to me in the restaurant and said, "Hey, would you like to buy some LSD?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "I sure would," you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that night I dropped an unknown uh, dosage, <laughs> <You know? laughs> a very early, early uh, uh, acid. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess that was truly the launching pad of, of my interest in all of this stuff. Okay. Uh, it was a flat out uh, transcendent experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew that... Uh, uh, existence itself, being itself, was a was a singularity of of uh, consciousness, and that everything was literally sort of like a fractal <laughs> fractal work, fractaling consciousness, mm-hmm. and, and ultimately, uh, what's behind the whole thing, and what's at the top of this whole fractal chain, was what everybody else was uh, was trying to say God was. And I realized, yeah, that's, that's what it is, all right. And that's me, too. Yeah. <laughs> and you're part of it. Yeah. And, I see and I, yeah. yeah. And so I thought for a while that I was going to be a first-rate uh, Eastern mystic. And uh, uh, sort of more or less gave up the, the psychedelic uh, uh, approach to mm-hmm. it and tried to uh, do what... Uh, it was obvious that people had been trying to do for, for millennia, uh, with, uh, you know, yoga and, and, uh, I was very impressed with Zen. I got into the, the works of, uh, Alan Watts. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, Alan Watts then gave me confidence to, to look into Buddhism and, and uh, uh, yoga and stuff, Ramakrishna mm-hmm. and, and uh, Paramahansa Yogananda. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were all, they all seemed to be speaking a language that I could understand, you know. Interesting, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's just like instantly, it's like you wake up one day and you understand a foreign language. Yeah, no, I, I completely uh, understand what you mean by that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. So the, uh, for years, I worked pretty hard at trying to be a first-rate uh, Eastern mystic, mm-hmm. and uh, but I couldn't get past this one, one sort of barrier. And the barrier, uh, I sort of comically uh, summarize what the barrier was. Uh, I knew my natural state of mind was total illumination, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if I could just wake up to my normal state of mind, that's what it would be. 
Okay. okay. I yeah. would. I wanted to meditate till I gained enlightenment, and I. But I couldn't get past the idea of how cool I would look <laughs> gaining enlightenment. Okay. <laughs> how cool I would look losing my ego. You know. Okay. <laughs> That's an interesting thought. Yeah. 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 And in a sense, for a while, I. I sort of beat myself up about it. So, well, you can't get over your ego. He said, no, I can get, I bet I can get over my ego. I still want to look cool while this happens. You know? <laughs> and, and I sensed, I sensed a basic difference between how uh, the inner self identity of Eastern mystics differ from uh, those who have been at least uh, brought up and influenced by the Western culture. Can you maybe explain that or is it just something that you feel? No, yeah, I, can, I can explain it. It's, it's, it's like Uh, I, I could grasp the idea and was pretty good at stripping away all the things that I was not, mm -hmm. okay, in, in meditation and in mm -hmm. self-identity. Mm -hmm. I was pretty good at it, and that's sort of the Eastern approach. Yes. Okay, you close your eyes and you go, you go inward and, and almost say, well, I'm not that, I'm getting rid of that. I'm not that, I'm getting rid of that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not this chattering monkey thoughts, no, I'm... Mm -hmm. Get rid of that. Uh, then you finally get to your emotions and your, I'll get rid of that, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, it's always been misidentified as, as trying to become nothing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, it, and it's not like that unless, of course, your definition of nothing is everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or, or that singularity that. Yes. And, and so that was the Eastern approach. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's calm. It's comfortable with your, with yourself and, and, and all of these things you deal with inwardly. You take care, you neutralize one thing after another inwardly. Yeah. And they have no trouble just riding along and allowing, <laughs> allowing <laughs> how cool they look just to disappear too. Yeah. <laughs> See, yeah. But uh, uh, in the West, we're striving for that same thing, but completely turned around. It's like we like to connect everything with everything else until there's nothing mm -hmm. left, and then we yeah. hit that, we hit, hit that same singularity. And mm -hmm. so that's why in the West. Uh, Even abortive tech, techniques of, of self-realization deal with scripture and rituals and symbols and mm -hmm. and, and 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 tools and and uh, uh, strutting around in the in the dark and ca lighting candles and, <laughs> and and we like to actually give concrete form to our demons and our mm -hmm. angels. And we mm -hmm. like to look them in the look them in the eye. This is why cinema uh, was such a, a push to uh, such a significant button first in the Western in the Western psyche. Right. 
and uh, and cinema when I was growing up was my religion. It gave me everything. Mm-hmm. It gave me everything religion was supposed <laughs> to give you. You know. Well, you were in the right place to live that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I started to look around for the like the Western equivalent to uh, uh, what the Tao Te Ching so simply mm-hmm. uh, so simply mm-hmm. uh, told me. You know, mm-hmm. I needed a Western Tao, and. Uh, uh, I tried various things, but the, the, the thing I was personally connected to was, uh, believe it or not, was, um, well, my father was a Freemason, mm-hmm. and he was not a religious man, but he was a Freemason, and he was the, one of the coolest guys I, I've ever met, one of the most noble characters I've ever met. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and he was a good man, and he was good not because of any scripture or religion or belief system. He was good because he made it obvious that it was the natural way to be. Right. He was Mm -hmm. was good for goodness sake. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I figured that this masonry thing might have had something to do with that. And he had all of these books that looked pretty damn mystical. Mm -hmm. Uh, Especially Albert Pike's Morals and Dogma. And I I would thumb through that thing. And my dad always wanted me to, to, to be a Mason, and he always had this twinkle in his eye when he, when he rattled off his, his degree titles and, and, mm-hmm. and ended up with the one, at the time it was called Prince of the Royal Secret. Well, it, is still, it still is called like that, yes. Yeah. 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 And uh, I said, by God, Dad's a Prince of the Royal Secret, and it, <laughs> and it pretty much looks like he's got that. <laughs> he's got that. You know, <laughs> and uh, uh, so I started looking into to, to masonry because that was sort of a Western mystical uh, mystical thing. And uh, on my uh, on my journey toward uh, becoming a Mason, I ran into the Rosicrucian Order Amwork, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, which is kind of a I love my Amwork experience. It was wonderful, uh, but it, it's it's pretty lightweight and it's pretty corny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But anyway, uh, I involved myself in local lodge work in in Amwork, mm-hmm. and I discovered I just loved dressing up in robes and strutting around in the dark. Okay. <laughs> I love the incense. I love the candles. I love the the mysterious uh, uh, corny organ music that we played while we meditated. Mm-hmm. I, I, in other words, I fell in love with ceremonial magic. Yes. Or all the trappings of ceremonial magic. <laughs> and uh, uh, it wasn't too long after that that uh, I was involved in the Kabbalah work of the uh, B-O-T-A, yeah. and uh, I was introduced to the Sefer Yetzirah. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a book just about as thick as the Tao Te Ching. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like a pamphlet, you know? And, uh, a brick. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I said, oh, this is so cool. You know, this is my introduction to... I could see how the Hebrew letters, you know, they're they're broken up into three 
uh, three mothers and seven doubles and 12 simple, mm-hmm. simple letters. And I could just see, oh, well, uh, the three letters are up and down and right and left and forward and back. And that created space and, and movement in space creates time. And then you've got the six walls and that inscrutable center. There's that's what everybody's been talking about, about the hell. Uh, the, the, it just all just one shoe just dropped right after another, just clicked, right. clicked right into place. And I said, this is cool. I'm starting to get it. I'm mm-hmm. uh, in the same way that the Eastern mystic would, would have gone into that cube. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You saw it from the outside. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the Western mystic pops the cube open, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, uh, so I figured I was probably, probably onto something and it was probably inevitable, uh, when studying Western, uh, uh, magic or hermeticism, we can loosely call it, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, that you'd come across the works of Aleister Crowley. And, uh, uh sure. and once that happened, uh, and I had the good opportunity to, uh, uh, to meet and, uh, for all intent and purposes, study uh, with Israel Regardi. He was still alive, uh, and uh, uh, and a neighbor of mine, just down the down the road for many years. Uh, and uh, then I met Phyllis uh, uh, Seckler, who was the, mm-hmm. the student of uh, uh, Jane Wolfe, who had lived with Crowley at. Uh, at the Abbey of Thelema in Chefalu and Grady, and Grady McMurtry who had received his ninth from uh, Grady during World War II in, in England mm-hmm. and um, uh, Helen Parson Smith who uh, uh, was the widow of both Jack Parsons of uh, Strange Angel fame yeah uh, and Wil- <laughs> suddenly again yeah, yeah and Wilfred <laughs> Smith also of Strange Angel fame right uh, and I Truly, I accidentally stumbled into these relationships, okay? Believe mm-hmm. me, I do not have any goals in life. <laughs> I'm the biggest bum you know, Rudy. <laughs> I don't have goals. I don't have, uh, uh, I don't think strategically. Uh, I... Uh, for all intent and purposes, I just move from microsecond to microsecond, just mm-hmm. doing what I think is the only thing <laughs> that I can do. Okay. <laughs> and so I, I accidentally stumbled into all of these relationships and I accidentally stumbled into, uh, uh, being initiated, uh, into, uh, the OTO. Uh, mm-hmm. at the very dawn of its resurgence in the yeah. mid-70s. Yeah, yeah. That was an exciting period for the OTO, especially in California, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. yeah. That's that's where uh, that's where it was first really starting, starting to happen. And it was mm-hmm. a good, rich, fertile ground for it because uh, uh, Already, almost everybody in California has, uh, has made up their own religion. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds quite true to me. Yeah. <laughs> and so there is a there is a, a a rich field to uh, uh, of uh, a rich pool of 
yeah, interested people to uh, to actually uh, uh, see in Crowley's, uh, you know, the, the potential for yeah, like a next yeah. step in human thought. Yeah. And if you know anything about Crowley, you know that, oh, that, sure. that yeah. it's not easy at first to see the the gold. <laughs> yeah, of course, because it, it's hidden by all this stuff that everybody else who does not know him talks about. Right, right. <laughs> no. Absolutely. But uh, could you could you name one or several things that especially attracted you to OTO that were kind of the key for you, why you picked up uh, at that time, you had the choice in California, probably. Why it was the OTO? It can't be pure coincidence or synchronicity. It must must have been something in you that attracted you there. Absolutely, it? it was the it was tarot. Okay. Okay, the BOTA or Builders of the Atom program mm -hmm. at, at the time is a wonderful correspondence course. Uh, uh, followed up with the works of uh, uh, Paul Foster Case, right. uh, who was uh, involved in, in uh, post-Mathers Golden Dawn type activity. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and, and a wonderful mystic in his own right, obviously. He's uh, really admire his work. Mm -hmm. But uh, they were the ones that took Eliphas Levy's uh, ball and ran with it. Uh, when Eliphas Levy said that the Hebrew alphabet was uh, uh, part of the, was assigned to the 22 keys of the of the tarot. Of the tarot, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, so that really helped me get into to, uh, Kabbalah and all of that. Mm -hmm. And I was in the Rosicrucian. So we're talking about 1972. So that was your Amork time still? And I was still in Amork, and mm -hmm. I was, uh, well, because I was active in the lodge, and mm -hmm. I was uh, chanter and chaplain, and... and uh, was it still already based in San Diego at the time? Uh, well, it's based in San Jose. Uh, oh, San Jose, sorry, yes, right. sorry, yeah. Yes. yeah. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I took several of my uh, temple degrees in San Jose, which is just so lucky it was so beautiful and ornate just this uh yeah uh, i'm sure you know comparable to, to a to a very very uh, uh elaborate masonic uh environment mm -hmm. uh but anyway i it was 1972 i believe and i went to a local uh bookstore a chain bookstore it's called b dalton pickwick books mm -hmm. and uh I saw this box, uh, like an oversized tarot box, and it had the Hermetic Rose Cross on the back of the box. And I didn't know that they were tarot cards at first. I just thought, oh, look, Rosicrucian stuff. I'm into that, you know? <laughs> and I pick up the box, and I see that they're tarot cards. And, and uh, that uh, it was the Thoth Tarot, or the Thoth Tarot, however you want to mm -hmm. pronounce it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd never heard of this Aleister Crowley guy. I didn't think. It, his name sounded a little familiar. Uh, but I said, oh, they're tarot cards, and I'm into tarot, too. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I spent $12, which I didn't really have to spend, 
and I brought the cards home. And um, uh, the cards immediately impressed me and freaked me out at the same time because mm -hmm. obviously these are not, you know, Rider Waite esque cards. Mm -hmm. yeah, you know? yeah, sure, sure. And, not, yeah. and they're so beautiful that they, mm -hmm. they immediately affect you emotionally, but they're also kind of scary. And some of them, the colors are just nauseating, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm still a superstitious little 28-year-old guy or 26-year-old guy. Um, and I'm thinking these cards are so beautiful that I think they're somehow satanically uh, inspired. Because okay. mm -hmm. as a musician, I was aware of the story of Paganini, the great violinist, yeah. <laughs> who, who played violin so, so fantastically well that all the other violinists were jealous of him and said no human could play violins that good. The devil yeah. had, to, had yeah. to help him, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He gave his soul to the devil. Yes. He said, yeah, yeah. He went to the crossroads, and yes, <laughs> and uh, you know, and I'm sort of thinking that back into the residue of of my superstitiousness, and uh, then I look up Aleister Crowley's name in in a little cheap occult dictionary that I bought at the grocery store of all places. <laughs> And and uh, it said Alistair Crowley, famous Scottish Satanist, and I go, oh yes, oh I was right, oh gee, and uh, uh, and it said at his funeral a black mass was performed. It didn't say anything good about him or what a great poet. So the, or, the usual stuff. Yeah, no yeah. mountain climbing stuff. No. Uh, yeah. No British spy, nothing, just yeah. Scottish Satanist. And so I gave the cards away to my brother, who had an early, early uh, uh, paperback edition, Bantam, I think, of uh, the Book of Thoth. Now, he didn't mm -hmm. write, read the Book of Thoth, and he wasn't going to look at the cards, but I figured they belonged together, you know? Mm -hmm. So I gave him the cards, and then a friend of ours came over to the house uh, that we hadn't seen in a while, uh, and, uh, you know, he asked what we've been up to. And I said, oh, well, I joined the Rosicrucians and I'm really into this Kabbalah stuff. And, oh, I like that kind of the magic kind of stuff. And, oh, speaking of magic, I ran into this character called Aleister Crawley, this Satan character. And he had this uh, deck of Satan cards. And, uh, and uh, once I found out he was a Satanist, I got rid of the cards. And, and, and Bob looked at me like I was, <laughs> an idiot okay <laughs> and I tell people I knew I knew he thought I was an idiot because he said you're an idiot okay <laughs> he said anything you everything you think you want to learn everything you think you want to know everything you think uh, uh, you would like to do with this magic stuff this guy uh, knew more than anybody else on the planet about all of this stuff Mm -hmm. And sooner or later, if you are serious about this stuff, you are going to have to be familiar with his 
with his material. Sure. And uh, I said, but the, the cult dictionary says he was a Satanist. You know, I don't want him to have anything to do with that. And in those days, I had no idea that what I fantasized Satanism was doesn't exist in objective reality, okay? <laughs> yeah, sure. And, uh, and he said, no, he wasn't a Satanist. I read his biography. Uh, uh, no, he wasn't a Satanist. And then he thinks for a second. And he says, well, yeah, he was a Satanist. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then he thinks for a second more and he says, but no, he wasn't a Satanist, you know? Well, and then yeah. he says, if he was a Satanist, he was a good kind of Satanist and you're really <laughs> going to like this guy. He's funny, he's brilliant, uh, he'll blow your mind. And so that got me, that got me, uh, into the idea that I'm going to get that the cards back and I'm going to get the book back. Believe it or not, I'm coming around to answer your question here. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm fascinated listening to you, so don't you worry. Okay. <laughs> the you know, there's always uh, a couple of promotional cards in every uh, uh, sure. tarot deck, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. one of the promotional cards has the lamin of the OTO on it, you know, with the, okay. the mm -hmm. eye and the triangle and the diving dove and the holy grail. Yeah. Yeah. And it says Ordo Templi Orientis over the top. And there's a, a little message from a guy named Hymenaeus Alpha 777 yeah. uh, saying that uh, uh, if you want to learn more about the deck, uh, he refers you to Liber Al Legis. And uh, down at the bottom was a, a post office address in Dublin, California. And, okay. and it wasn't, a, it was very understated. It wasn't a piece of proselytizing propaganda. It was just, mm -hmm. it was very dignified. Mm -hmm. And I had seen the, the lamin uh, before on one of the Rosicrucian Order Amorks documents called, which they call Libra 777, which is just a little pamphlet monogram. Mm -hmm. And so I, uh, in a sense, I, I, I felt uh, uh, the connection of something that I was already in and already kind of safe, safe in, in studying it. I mean, uh, and I had no idea that the, that Amork had stolen <laughs> stolen that image, and not the other way around, you know. Yeah, sure. And uh, uh, so I ended up writing that address, and I wrote them the stupidest letter because uh, uh, I had I had this idea that there was a great golden temple someplace and thousands of members and. And uh, and all of this, it's, you know, sort of like a super amorc. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ordo Templi Orientis sounds a bit like it when you don't know it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and everybody is all, uh, you know, twelve hundred years old and uh, <laughs> walks on water and have never been seen eating. And uh, uh, I write them a letter. Uh, 
and I, I always wrote the letters either on the equinox or the solstice. <laughs> to let them know I was hip to astrology, you know? Yeah, yeah, sure. And uh, first letter said something like, kindly communicate to me as you will. And uh, I never received an answer back to that one. And then <laughs> 90 days later, I wrote him another one saying, uh, oh, uh, I'm very interested. Please send me your brochures. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I didn't hear anything back from that one either. And uh, five, 90 days later, I finally uh, sent him another one and said, look, my first two letters probably sounded really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm really interested in uh, uh, the organization. I'm really interested in initiation, and uh, I feel really drawn to the to the whole thing. And, and, and at least write me a letter back. Before we continue to hear the remainder of that incredible story, let's take a short musical break with a piece written and performed by the musician Lon Milo Duquette. Last night I dreamt of dead people. And I find so absolutely unique and typical for Lon in what light and almost joyful way he says those words which, at first, could sound rather somber. Last night I dreamed of dead people My father and my mom They met me at a strange hotel They'd come to take me home My suitcase was in disarray My packing far from dawn A cab driver sat patiently And let his meter run Left undone I've checks to cash And debts to pay Before I leave this town My mother wailed You foolish boy Your ledger's closed And driver sat patiently and let his meter
get in that cab and go Then lightning flashed across the sky A mighty wind did blow Then all and dead Last night I dreamt, or like you Americans say, I dreamed of dead people, by and with Lon Milo Duquette. And now let's head back to the interview to see how the OTO finally responded to Lon's request and what happened next. We will also hear about his musical career and future projects of Lon's. And there is also that great phrase that Lon pronounces, Don't make magic your life, make your life magic. Nice statement, isn't it? The interview will be immediately followed by another piece of music. Well, discover it for yourself. Here is Lon Milo Duquette. So uh, I just happened to, the circumstances of our lives here in uh, Southern California were such that I that we had moved to another little little town, uh, so I could. Uh, 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 a friend of mine had a recording. So it's a long story, but we moved to another town for about six months, and uh, once we got back to Costa Mesa, uh, six months later, uh, and had a new address. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a letter from the OTO that had been forwarded twice. Oh, <laughs> and it was Phyllis. Uh, uh, it was from Phyllis Seckler. Oh, uh, really? From herself? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, and at the time, she was married to Grady McMurtry, and so she she signed it, uh, 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 Soror Merrill. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I didn't know their names yet. Okay. Sure. And Soror Merrill said started off by saying, we don't know anything about you, you know, uh, yeah. and so I had to send my, in, my detailed birth information so she could do my chart, sure. and uh, I had to write a little resume of uh, my life and wh what brought me to this point and everything else. Well, it was about a year after that, uh, th that we finally got to the point of where uh, we could arrange a, 
um, me to come to Dublin and take the initiation. Mm -hmm. And um, that finally happened. And still, I didn't know their names. It was very cloak and daggery. I had to take a bus uh, to a bus stop that was a, across the road from a motel. I was supposed mm -hmm. to check into the motel and wait for a call. <laughs> they wouldn't even give me, they wouldn't give me their names or their, their real names or their, their address. And so Amazing. my poor wife sitting at home, I'm just getting off onto a bus, you know, for a, almost a five yeah. hour, five hour bus ride. In a strange motel. In a strange motel. And uh, on the way up, I started to think, gee, this is the stupidest thing in the <laughs> They could rape me and eat me, you know? And, uh, <laughs> sure. Constant, <laughs> what else? Constance wouldn't even, uh, and, and then I'm starting to think, well, maybe what they, what those bad things I heard about Crowley, maybe they are true. And maybe they are yeah. going to rape and eat me, you know? And, yeah. uh, but uh, that's kind of, that's a funny twist on that. I was very relieved when Phyllis, uh, uh, finally, when I finally met Phyllis. I'm sure. And, and is it true that now that she, when she died since then, you have been the longest standing member of the OTO today, haven't you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So the, Amazing. The only, uh, uh, things that qualifies me for that is that I'm still alive. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, my, one of the reasons, one of the reasons. Yes, my greatest virtue, yeah. Well, that's amazing. Well, thank you for sharing that with us because it's it's quite quite a story. I mean, uh, uh, I almost said rumor has it, it's more than a rumor. Of course, history has it that, uh, that you are in the field of Western esoteric or hermeticism, uh, one of the most humorous personalities in there. And um, of course, well, I wasn't surprised to, to that to hear that today that it is true when I listen to you. But um, why do you think that is? Why do you? Well, uh, let me put the question the other way around. Why do you think that most or well, I think most of, of people who are dealing with this stuff um, become so stiff maybe and even sometimes dogmatic and uh, you know there's always each single person against all the others well i'm exaggerating of course but you know what i mean right yeah. and you are such the kind of the antidote to that and i find that really great but why do you think that is well uh, uh, everybody's different everybody has their own uh personal issues and Oh, sure, yeah. and uh, and things to deal with, and um, uh, part of the uh, part of the drama of ceremonial magic uh, is sort of theatrically dark. Yeah, and uh, uh, and it it might be uh, sort of a uh, a common temptation in, in uh, a person's attempt to gain, <laughs> gain enlightenment while still looking cool. <laughs> that part of that looking cool is, is being uh, uh, a humorless snob. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> and it, that 
uh, and it's uh, you know I'm too lazy to be too much of a snob. I guess is, uh, and uh, uh, the idea that uh, Crowley himself, and this is one of the things that uh, initially attracted me so to Crowley, it was obvious when reading him when he was having you on mm -hmm. when when his humor is awesome yeah and yeah. and uh, and he's not just being being uh, being goofy uh, you know there's so much great truth in uh, uh, in his humor that you can almost sense even beyond the grave that he's looking over your shoulder while you're reading it to get mm -hmm. your reaction and and enjoying the the spectacle right right so the, and inter interesting to say that yeah mm -hmm. so and i've always uh, uh, you know i was a class clown in school <laughs> and I've uh, I've always enjoyed uh, uh, humorists. I'm a big fan of Mark Twain, mm -hmm. and uh, and I'm a big fan of a, of a few modern uh, uh, comics or yeah. comedians. Uh, yeah. uh, George Carlin was uh, a saint. Oh yeah, a saint. Uh, yeah. Absolute. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. You're naming those people, you know, uh, it's funny because some things I'm uh, I'm really close to them as well. I really don't want to compare myself to anything that you just said because that would be that would really be not justified from my side, but um when you say things like uh, you explored the eastern first and then came into the western um it was funny enough with me Alan Watts who you named before mm -hmm. who gave me the approach from the Eastern to the Western, funny enough, even though he, he has done the opposite, but, and it was not by rejecting what he said, but by what he was saying, yeah. that I find my path uh, back into the Western uh, tradition. So things like that, I find that very, very interesting. And now there is another question, which is a bit a parallel uh, in, into my life. You're a musician, I'm a musician myself, right? Mm -hmm. And you said ceremonial magic was what you attracted very much in the first place as well. And I wonder if those people who work in performing arts, to, to put it widely, um, if they have a special type of attraction to, to, the, to ceremonial magic and to all that comes with it, do you, would, you, would you say that statement is true or is that just a pure coincidence that we find quite a number of musicians, especially musicians, within those different orders of the Western tradition? Well, it can be a, uh, a coincidence and true at the same time, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, uh, but yes, and uh, art is magic, okay? Yes. Uh, it's, yes. Art isn't like magic. It isn't similar to magic, okay? It is. Art mm -hmm. is magic. And mm -hmm. every artist who, uh, and, and the more they're plugged in to being an artist and, and allowing 
art to flow through them, the, the, the more pure an artist is, the greater the magician the artist is. Mm. And they don't have to know anything about Crowley or, or Elephant Levy or, uh, or any, they don't have to even put names or labels to what it is that, mm -hmm. it, that they are doing of, of who and what they are. All art is magic and all artists are magicians. And, That's a, a key phrase. I like it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and so the, uh, when you uh, go to a play, you're looking at a stage full of magicians. When you go to the ballet, you're looking at a stage full of magicians, and and what they're doing is a magical act. That is, that is doing what magic is supposed to do, and that is to affect a change in consciousness. And, a, and a great public art is affecting a change in the, in the consciousness of thousands of people sometimes all at once. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and so the, it, it's very simple, or I mean it's very easy for uh, a great artist or a great dancer or a, or a, a great uh, uh, actor to once they get home and have a few drinks in them <laughs> <laughs> and accidentally run across the, the, this idea of, of uh, ceremonial magic uh, or something to have the light bulb go off over their heads and say, oh my God, there is an actual spiritual art form what we're doing uh, yeah. my gosh it's almost Dionysian you know so. yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you mean absolutely absolutely that's great that's great explanation yeah um, but but you have is it true that you uh, at least that's how how your uh, short biographies that we find here and there say you started as a musician, then you became very deeply involved into the OTO, etc., and book writing and all of that. And you you stopped being on stage as a musician at some point and returned back to it. Is that is that true? Yeah, uh, but you know, because time is so weird. Uh, uh, Twenty five years is just a blink of an eye. You know. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, yes, I uh, when. Uh, we became pregnant with our son, Jean-Paul. It became clear to me that uh, the life of a, of a late 60s, early 70s uh, uh, musician, uh, a recording artist and performer, okay, so it was more than just a musician. Uh, sure. But, but I absolutely enjoyed the excesses of that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's an adolescent dream come true. <laughs> sure, yeah. uh, but then I also realized that that is that is not going to be the lifestyle of somebody that that is happy to raise a little family. Yeah. And yeah. so it it wasn't a sacrifice. It wasn't a 
it wasn't uh, I wasn't giving anything up I didn't sadly do I eventually sold my beautiful custom Martin D28 oh, geez. And for baby really? for baby food and uh, mm. uh, and uh, I truly didn't look back and it made life uh, very difficult because I had been a professional musician for 14 years and I was uh, so I didn't really uh, study anything seriously in college. Uh, yeah. I was totally unprepared for objective reality. Mm. And uh, so it made life uh, difficult, uh, you know, keeping a roof over our heads and things like that. Sure, which, sure. which it still it is. It still is. Uh, mm. Writing occult books is not a get-rich-quick. Uh, no, it's only yeah. that, yeah. But uh, then... Uh, all of a sudden, you know, I write a lot and I sit at the computer and and uh, uh, talk myself out of writing, but I still sit here, you know. And uh, one of my Monday night class uh, members uh, gave me a ukulele. An old, okay. uh, about, is about, the ukulele might be close to 100 years old now. And, um, and of course, the ukulele is tuned just like a guitar. Uh, first yeah. four strings, only the the fourth string is an octave higher. Uh, and uh, so I started to plunk around on the ukulele, and uh, uh, and I set the ukulele right by my my computer, and I'd be writing away on my next project. And then when I get burned out, I just reach over and play with the ukulele. And uh, uh, okay. So uh, I got myself a couple of ukulele chord books and stuff. There is no chord that's too hard to play on a ukulele. It's, mm-hmm. And uh, so I said, I think I'm going to learn some of these old uh, American songbooks, standards and stuff, because I, I really like music of the 30s. And uh, Gershwin and Cole Porter and stuff like that. Yeah, sure. I, I've, I've always loved that kind of stuff. Uh, but there's about 400 chords in every one of those. <laughs> they sound like simple songs, but they're just really hard. And But you could do it on the ukulele. So I mm-hmm. learned all of these uh, uh, different uh, rhythms and patterns and uh, uh, chords that you play with only four strings uh, on the ukulele. And then I was... Uh, 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 doing like a, a London, a UK tour, and I uh, sort of home-based in central London for uh, nearly a month. Mm-hmm. And there, w- I didn't have a ukulele to fiddle around with, but the place I stayed had a couple of guitars. And so I practiced all my ukulele stuff uh, on the guitar. On the guitar, okay. And then it, it only took a couple of days before I thought, you know, I can drag that fifth string <laughs> into it. And in another couple of days, you know, I can drag the sixth string right into the party too, you know. And by the time I left London, my uh, guitar skills had taken a quantum leap and mm-hmm. I couldn't stop writing new songs. That, that incorporated uh, all of this, uh, all this new technology. That was in the early 2000s, right? Yes. 
Yes, and so I started writing songs, and uh, you know I recall that uh, you, you never really can adequately perform a song until you've performed it in public about 500 times. <laughs> At least I can't. You know, I, I, I got to get it to a part of my brain that just doesn't give a damn anymore. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, so I started going to open mic nights uh, just to, to uh, perform my, my original material. And... Mm -hmm. uh, then I got interviewed by the newspaper because they thought it was interesting that a you know a, a cult author would be doing this and and then I got a couple magazine interviews and then I got a guy that said you know I'll I'll publish your stuff and and be your producer and um, so that was the beginning of, of that it all came back and then once again I just luckily dumb luck i just stumbled into playing at uh, new york's cafe vivaldi and uh, new york's uh, uh, spin and um, uh, the house of blues here in los angeles and and the viper room here in los angeles and then super deluxe in tokyo and and uh, dust on in uh, beijing and but you know, I, I I never set to work to do that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, you actually didn't do it with the OCO either. It also happened here and there. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, I tell crazy. people, uh, people ask new people in the OTO will will ask, well, what what is the best thing I can do for uh, the OTO? What's the best thing I can do for Thalema? What what's the best thing I can do for uh, you know the movement? Mm-hmm. And it's, and I always tell them the same thing. The best thing that you can do for the order and everything else is for you to have a life. Okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Have a yeah. life. Okay. Have a life, that's, yeah. the, that's the best example you can, <laughs> you can make for anybody yeah. on a spiritual path. You can, yeah. you can be a lamp. You can be that hermit's lamp. Just have a life. Don't make magic your life. Make your life magic. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. Very good sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, you're saying so uh, interesting things. Um, we are already uh, approaching the end of our time here, but I have two more questions for you, which I really want to ask you, Lon, if you, if I may. Um, first is you were growing into first armor and then whatever and into OTO at a time when of course there was no internet and you had to pick those things by yourself in bookstores lucky enough for you in california they were available probably not all over the western world they were uh, anyway and today the story is completely different somebody a young guy who is interested but seriously interested into getting into that whole tradition um how would you what would you advise a young person today to do uh, is the internet the correct approach or at first at least or what would you what would you tell them what would you say well where should they start their path and find out if which which is right for them well it's going to be uh, hard to avoid uh at least some use of the internet to uh uh, because it's just part of life right now. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it's pretty easy to find out what the classic uh, uh, teachers in the classic texts uh, are in all of this. And uh, the, the idea that I think you should do a lot of legwork first before you uh, jump right into uh, uh, joining organizations. But the temptation to join organizations is almost irresistible, you know. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, the idea of uh, at least being able through your network of Facebook friends and other things, at least to get an idea of, of uh, who and what people are, uh, are, are reading and discussing and uh, um, arguing about, and, and then start doing the, uh, your own homework. And it, mm-hmm. I think it would be impossible to even understand the new uh, variations on the theme for you to be familiar with the theme and and that is uh, starting off with the, the teachings of the Golden Dawn uh, Alistair Crowley and uh, the superstars of uh, the last hundred years of uh, Kabbalistic and, and Hermetic thought Mm-hmm. And uh, and then don't don't be quick to you know jump in and swallow everything, uh, yeah. but uh, at least taste everything, uh, everything mm-hmm. you can, and for at least a while, trust what you're most attracted to, mm-hmm. and and uh, uh, trust that because you want you want to be. Uh, uh, kind of comfortable when you sit down and start to digest this stuff. And then one other thing, explore what freaks you out and makes you the most uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that you have to embrace it, but there's a reason why you're reacting like that. Yeah, and you have to find out why, don't you? Right. And, and whatever it is that's... that's uh, you know, you should never be uncomfortable, okay? If you are uncomfortable, yeah, sure, yeah, you got yeah. a little problem there. Uh, yeah. Look into that problem. And uh, that's the whole idea behind, like, Goetic uh, uh, evocation, the evocation of Goetic demons. You know, actually, you're, you're looking for uh, the problem that you need to overcome. And sometimes mm-hmm. the best way to do that is to just jump right in and conjure it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very interesting. Well, thank you for that one. Yeah, great advice. The, the other, the final question for today, I'm afraid, um, I have is, well, one of the first books I read in the whole, in the whole uh, esoteric realm, so to speak, uh, was My Life with the Spirits, your your book, uh, I think it was written in, in 99, 1999 or something. Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah. Exactly. And yesterday, as it happens, I came across a, a post by David Shoemaker, <laughs> who you know very well, um, that you are going to publish together with him a, a book called The Complete Book of Ceremonial Magic in early February next year. 
So we are excited to hear that. And I'm not sure if you can already say much about oh, that, sure. But, but sure. So please let us know a bit about that. And if there are any other plans, books or, or other stuff that we would like to know uh, and, and what's coming up and what we should look out for from your Okay, end. well, uh, yeah, yeah, there's two things in particular. Uh, the complete book of ceremonial magic, uh, David Shoemaker uh, and I edited it. I, I sort of curated it. I brought the, the various authors together. And mm -hmm. uh, it is, uh, oh, right off the top of my head, I don't know how, <laughs> it's a real, thick book. It was meant to be a, uh, a textbook for the ages, really. Uh, mm -hmm. But it is a collection of a collection of books written especially for this by uh, uh, people who are experts in the particular fields that are important to the to understanding of magic and modern magic mm -hmm. in particular. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, that includes the magic of Hermes, uh, uh, the, the, the Greco uh, uh, her hermetic stuff with Sam mm -hmm, the, the pepper and, yeah. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, alchemy, and uh, uh, the whole book on alchemy, whole book on uh, 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 the sacred magic of Abermelon and the mage, and planetary magic, and, and uh, Enochian magic, and... Uh, uh, golden Dawn magic and uh, so each of them are a standalone book w w within one book and they're sort of uh, put together and edited so that uh, uh, it gives the, the proper semblance of a, of a unified <laughs> you know so, uh, so, sounds exciting right. we've yeah. got Stephen Skinner and David Rankin mm -hmm. and uh, David Hulse and and uh, John Mackey Greer I saw yeah and, yeah and and the Cicero's right yeah. mm -hmm. so uh, oh and Brandy Williams did this uh, oh David Shoemaker uh, I actually did a, does one of the books he does the Thelemic Magic uh, oh, okay. uh, one I uh, and um, Brandy Williams doesn't does an epilogue to it which is just mm -hmm. um, all of them are masterpieces. I'm just awed by the whole thing. I'm just so happy to to be Great. associated with it. Great. I'm sure I'll make a note here on the podcast once it's out. I think it's it's due for February next That's year. What, or something yeah, like that. they've got the cover mm -hmm. already out, and it'll be in hardbound too for uh, for a while well, now. Uh, mm -hmm. The second project is my own uh, tarot ceremonial magic, which uh, uh, the the third edition of it, the second edition had been, has been out of out of circulation for about five years, uh, is being redone and will uh, again be back in in circulation. This time, hopefully at a uh, at a reasonable price. It's always been sort of a pricey <laughs> thing, uh, mm -hmm. but that's my attempt to uh, 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 synthesize. Uh, uh, Astrology, uh, Goetia, uh, Kabbalistic, uh, you know, angel magic, uh, and uh, Enochian magic. Uh, in all of those areas where, where those uh, fields overlap uh, with tarot, uh, yeah. I've incorporated that, that information on, the, on each of the cards. Uh, mm -hmm. 
so you could build like your entire uh, Nokian Magic Elemental Universe, uh, or you know, with the court cards and aces themselves, you know. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. so it'll soon be uh, back in print. I, I expected it by now, but uh, there's always hiccups in, in yeah, these projects. Sure, sure. Well, we have to be on the watch for that then as well. That that is great. I will make a note on the show notes of our of our podcast, so to 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 lead people where they can find it with yeah yeah okay. yeah. Well, uh, Lon, I could talk. I think three more hours to you at least. <laughs> it has been so much fun, um, and thank you so much for being with us tonight and uh, for the time you gave us and for sharing all those wonderful, not only stories, but also wonderful thoughts and, and hints and, and, and well, all your knowledge about that. Thanks so much. Well, you bet. And Thank you. No, great. It was great. And uh, greetings to sunny California. It's very rainy here. I hope uh, you couldn't all hear the rain dropping on the roof of my studio. I heard a little bit of that, here. yes. Yeah, yeah, because it started to, uh, to rain heavily about 20 minutes ago. Might be a big background noise. I'm sorry about that, but I, that is really something I can't help. Well, it, it sounds <laughs> atmospheric, like a 1930s B movie. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so thanks so much, um, uh, Lon. And well, I hope we'll speak again uh, sometime soon. And there will be occasions, I'm sure. Thanks for this one, and um, well, uh, be well, and uh, have a good okay, time. Okay, you too. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Up and joined AARP, wake up at night to take a pee, wear glasses just so I can see, but growing old don't bother me, cause space and time and what they used to be, the future now is history, especially when it comes to me, I ain't what I appear to be. Don't write me off just because I'm getting old and gray if you don't shuffle off. You'll be old and gray someday, I ain't washed up. No, that's just a filthy rumor. I'm a hippo pup. They blew my baby boomer. Don't write me off. Don't write me off. I'm cool and quaint and handsome. Don't write me off. Don't write me off. I'm a pool of ancient wisdom. Like some old pathetic has been I'm still picking, I'm still kicking, doing shit You can't imagine all the things I've seen and done All my trips around the sun The hearts I broke, the loves I've loved And all that fun, just having fun Going round the earth Seeking peace and love and brotherhood And tell you all the truth I'm busy practicing for Buddha Don't write me off Some more pathetic has been I'm still writing, I'm still fighting, doing shit you can't imagine Don't write me off I'm still dreaming, I'm still scheming Don't write me off Still revolving and evolving Don't write me off Still advancing and romancing Just suspend your disbelieving Sometimes looks can be deceiving Growing old ain't cruel and tragic This old fool's still full of magic I write books and songs and poetry I'll go on till I'm 93 The rage of social media Got a page in Wikipedia Don't be writing my obituary Still busy making history Don't write me off Some more pathetic has been. I'm still 
still sinning, I'm still grinning, doing shit you can't imagine. Don't break me Wonderfully deep and funny interview at the same time. Just as the piece of music by and with Lon Myler Duquette, which we heard to finish our meeting with him. I hope you enjoyed. This will bring our episode number three of season three to an end. I am glad you were with us today and I hope to have you back soon again. Keep an eye on what will be coming. The interview guest on our next episode will be Bernard Alvarez, sacred activist, world-renowned spiritual consciousness teacher and intuitive. You are certainly going to like that talk, I'm sure. And in number five, I will welcome author Thomas Hatzis, and we will speak about psychedelic mystery traditions. Sometime in between those episodes, though, Maybe already next week, I will present the first Thoth Hermes Ex Libris episode with three longer reviews and one 20-minute interview with an author about his or her new book. More details will be available very soon. And to be honest, I'm very excited about this new format. For now, I'm saying goodbye. What is great having you. And I look forward to be back in front of the mic for you very soon. Thanks for listening. Take care. Stay tuned. Hear you soon. <laughs>